Welcome to Cancer Docs Talk, a bi-weekly podcast where oncologists discuss the latest cancer news, produced by Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. Our host is Dr. Gilberto Lopes, a recognized leader and director of global oncology at Sylvester, and a renowned medical oncologist specializing in lung cancer. Welcome to our ESCO edition of Cancer Docs Talk. I am Gilberto Lopes, a medical oncologist at Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center, and it is my great pleasure and honor to have a friend from California here with us. I have Dr. Sumanta Pau. Most uh, people actually call him Monty. If he doesn't mind, I think that that's what we're going to call him throughout the segment. And uh, Monty is an expert in kidney cancer. And at ASCO this year, he was the discussant for the press conference for a very important clinical trial that will be changing therapy for a number of patients with kidney cancer. I'm going to ask Dr. Paul to start by introducing himself and letting us know what type of research he does and then talk about this trial that we had at the plenary session here at ASCO 2018 in Chicago. Oh, Gilberto, it's a huge honor for me to be here. And gosh, you're one of my heroes in the field. Having a, a plenary session at the age of 44, I think that's a record. I think that's a record. But uh, in any case, I'm here to talk about the kidney cancer abstract that you referred to. This was the so-called Carmina trial. And just to back up for a second, kidney cancer is a very difficult disease to treat. Median survival a decade ago was about one year. But what really changed is it went from using older generations of immune-based therapy to targeted therapy. And that was a big paradigm shift for us. So with targeted therapies like sinitinib, like pizopinib, these are all VEGF inhibitors, we just about tripled survival from one year to three years. Now, one thing that we've classically done in kidney cancer, and this might not be so intuitive because we don't do it in other diseases, right? Absolutely is right. We actually remove the kidney in the context of metastatic disease. Uh, and I can't think of too many other examples where we do that necessarily. But there was some older data with older immune-based therapies that suggested there might be some benefit with it. And in point of fact, I've worked with colleagues around the country, and the data that we've pulled together from large databases seems to imply that that practice still carries benefit. But as you know, there's no substitute for a good randomized trial, and that's what the Carmina trial was. And how was the trial designed? Where was it uh, done? And what are the main findings that we saw yesterday? So I'll tell you that Carmina originated as a concept uh, amongst many individuals in the US and Europe. Ultimately, it was a difficult study to conduct stateside. And that's because. I can imagine why, I guess. <laughs> please do tell us. Absolutely. I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. But uh, you know, my inclination is that there was thought to be a lot of surgical bias, perhaps, towards cytoreductive nephrectomy in various cases. And by virtue of that, this was a study that, frankly, could only be conducted in Europe. Um, so there are two trials, Sirtime and Carmina, initiated around the same time. The Carmina study, in my opinion, was a cleaner trial. The Sirtime trial, just to begin, was a study that looked at cytoreductive nephrectomy before or after initiation of targeted therapy. The Carmina study, on the other hand, was one that more cleanly looked at targeted therapy versus surgery followed by targeted therapy. And Carmina was, in my mind, sort of a, a clear win in terms of trial. The study accrued much more quickly than the CERT time trial. A total but it still of, took a while to accrue, right? It sure did. It sure did. So the CERT time study, just by comparison, very similar design, after many years, accumulated only 99 patients. Wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So the Carmina trial, on the other hand, 450 patients, but as you pointed out, over a long span, over five years. 
Uh, and that's tough because, as you can imagine, the standards of therapy change as they have during this uh, course of time, fortunately, for patients. And that is one of the main criticisms that we have heard about the trial. It sure is. It sure is. So these 450 patients randomized to surgery followed by uh, targeted therapy versus just targeted therapy alone, ultimately demonstrated no significant difference in terms of overall survival. And in fact, I think a lot of folks were looking at the Kaplan-Meier curves from this study and really suggesting that the folks that got surgery actually did slightly worse. Oh, wow. Yeah, very interesting. So I think that this really sort of flips the paradigm on its head for the moment and for patients in most of the world who for the short term or maybe even long term will be getting targeted therapy. I think in that context, they'll probably shy away largely from cytoreductive nephrectomy. And is there any reason theoretically or clinically uh, tested to tell us that it might be different in the setting of immunotherapy with our new agents? You mentioned old agents we used to use in kidney cancer, interleukin, interferon. How about with the new combinations of CTLA-4 and PD-1 or PD-1 inhibitors? Well, I think that those older trials that you point out by the EORTC are the best evidence and by SWOG to really suggest that maybe cytoreductive nephrectomy will carry a benefit in the context of immunotherapy. You know, those randomized trials, designed much like Carmina, in fact, really did suggest a significant overall survival advantage with cytoreductive nephrectomy. I think that when we look at the immune therapies that we're using, specifically regimens like nivolumab with ipilimumab, one key difference is that you can actually operate through these agents, right? It's a little sure. different. Do you do absolutely. this in lung cancer at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we don't necessarily operate on patients yet, but we do have a number of new adjuvant trials that are being developed. But of course, it is safe to actually operate on patients while they're on immunotherapies. It's different from what happens when we have patients on chemotherapy or angiogenesis agents in kidney cancer or bevacizumab, which you sometimes do use in lung cancer as well. I think that's helpful to know, and it seems like this paradigm is sort of extending across diseases. So my take-home message here is that when we look at regimens like nivolumab and ipilimumab, maybe the fact that you can tighten that window between surgery and initiation of systemic therapy could change results. About 22% of patients on the Carmina study who went from surgery to systemic therapy with sunitinib were lost, and that's probably because of that four to six week gap you have to mm -hmm. employ, right, when you're using targeted therapies. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've used VEGF inhibitors in the context of lung cancer and other diseases. Absolutely. So what's the take-home message? What is it that you're going to do on Wednesday in clinic once you fly home tomorrow, Tuesday? Well, I am going to be much more heavy-handed in terms of how I uh, decide whether or not to use cytoreductive nephrectomy in patients. It's not going to be such a, a straightforward and simple decision as it has been in years past. There's a beautiful editorial by Paul Russo and Bob Mozer in the New England Journal of Medicine mm -hmm. to accompany the publication of the Carmina trial. And essentially what they've suggested is that if you have a patient who's poor risk, certainly they shouldn't be candidates. If they're intermediate risk, perhaps there's still a role. And there are actually some published studies from the MD Anderson group that provide good guides for selecting patients for cytorotective nephrectomy. They have brain metastases, if they have other high-risk features, definitely a good idea to stay away from it. And the million-dollar research questions, are we going to see a trial evaluating patients on immune checkpoint inhibitors with or without nephrectomy? So I actually asked this question when we were in the discussion section following the plenaries. And so we had some fantastic discussions, Tony Tuary, Dan George, mm -hmm. folks who are very well versed in the field. I didn't quite get the definitive answer that I wanted. 
I, I asked them three things. I gave them three options, essentially. Should we just abandon a Carmina-esque trial with immunotherapy? Should we try, for instance, to do a trial with nivolumab and ipilimumab? Or should we try, for instance, one of these emerging VEGF and IO-based therapies? Because mm -hmm. in a couple of years, I, I think that's where we're headed, right? It's a fascinating uh, scenario right now in first-line kidney cancer with all the combinations of antiangiogenesis and immunotherapy that we're seeing. So hopefully I'll invite you next time to talk a little bit about that as well. The other trial that I wanted to talk about today was actually in the lung cancer arena, and that's Keynote 42, which is the study that I presented at the plenary session as well. So as you said, it, this was an immense honor, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed every single second of it. But the trial we presented is a randomized open-label trial that compared pembrolizumab as a single agent versus chemotherapy as a single modality. We have known for a number of years that targeted agents do provide a benefit for patients with EGFR mutations and with ALK translocations, and immune checkpoint inhibitors have already become part of our armamentarium in lung cancer. We have also seen that pembrolizumab does improve survival in the chemotherapy refractory setting and also in the first-line setting for patients with a pd one expression of 50% and more, or in combination with chemotherapy regardless of uh, pd one expression. So in Keynote 42, we randomized 637 patients in each arm to receive pembrolizumab alone versus chemotherapy. Standard chemotherapy with carboplatin and paclitaxel or carboplatin and pemetrexid, and all of these patients had a tumor proportion score of at least 1%, showing that they had expression of pd one And these patients did not have EGFR mutations and did not have ALK translocations. And what we showed is that for the whole trial patient population, which was 1% and higher, as well as for the 20% and higher and 50% and higher subgroups, there was a statistically significant benefit in overall survival. It also seemed that what drove those results were patients with higher levels of pd one expression, and when we looked at the exploratory analysis for those patients that expressed between 1 and 49, we had a hazard ratio of 0.92, still favoring pembrolizumab, but because this was not powered to test the difference, we saw a 95% confidence interval that ranged from 0.77 to 1.11, probably showing that they're very similar chemotherapy and pembrolizumab in that subgroup of patients. What pembrolizumab did better, though, is that it was a lot easier to take and to tolerate. When we looked at severe adverse events, in particular, grade three to five in the usual no, 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 notation that we use, we saw that only 18% of patients in the pembrolizumab arm versus 41% of patients in the chemotherapy arm had those severe side effects. And we also saw that for patients who had responses which were very similar in both arms, patients who received pembrolizumab had more than twice as many months of duration of response as patients on chemotherapy. So our conclusion is that this was the largest trial to test pembrolizumab as a single agent in this setting. Patients with metastatic non-small cell lung cancer and advanced non-small cell lung cancer who had not yet received treatment for their advanced disease. And this actually brings in a new option for the treatment of patients. We do have to place this in context with the other trials that we had presented at ASCO and at AACR a few weeks ago. And in those trials, we saw combinations of chemotherapy with pembrolizumab showing better results than pembrolizumab alone, than, excuse me, chemotherapy alone. What we don't know is how the combinations actually compare to pembrolizumab alone, especially in the group of patients that express pd one at 50% and above. We're trying to address that with um, 
uh, indirect comparison meta-analysis with, with independent, with individual rather patient data. And we hope to have results either for Toronto for the World Lung Cancer Meeting or maybe Munich for the ASMO meeting. So we hope that before the end of the year, we're going to have some more evidence to support uh, the idea or to help us tease out which patients do better with chemo and immunotherapy, which patients do better with immunotherapy alone. When we go back to clinic on Wednesday, we will likely be treating most patients with combinations of chemotherapy and immunotherapy, especially for those patients who are symptomatic and who need a response. It is quite plausible that for patients with low volume of disease who have higher levels of pd one expression and who do not need a quick response, we could actually use pembrolizumab as a single agent and then avoid the toxicity of chemo. So it's been a practice-changing trial, not for every single patient, but it does actually bring one more piece to complete the puzzle of what, what should we do for patients with lung cancer. To make matters a little bit more complex, we also have an interesting trial at ASCO comparing ipilimumab and nivolumab, the same combination you mentioned, in patients with a tumor mutation burden of at least 10 mutations per megabase. And that trial showed better progression-free survival. We're going to be seeing an update here at ASCO on Tuesday, so we'll more to that, more about that to come in the future. And finally, we have other chemotherapy and immunotherapy combinations that are being tested with atezolizumab, which is a pd one inhibitor that you do use in bladder cancer. So it's a brave new world. We actually have a lot more work to do because even with all of these, most of our patients with lung cancer still eventually progress and die from their disease. So when you and I go back home, there's a lot more clinical trials that we need to plan, a lot more biomarker, biomarker uh, evaluations to start. So thank you very much for being here. I'll give you the opportunity to say a few more words, and I hope to have you again as a guest in the near future. Thank you very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. You know, and I have to say that you did a fantastic summary of the whole landscape of therapies for lung cancer, but but I have to ask you a question. Sure, absolutely. So I have never had any desire to go backstage at a ball game, at a rock concert, <laughs> but it has been my dream to get backstage at the plenary session at ASCO, and hopefully it'll happen before I die. I hope so, too, and I think we definitely deserve that. But you've got to tell me, what is it like? What, what happens backstage behind so the plenaries? So the whole experience is actually fantastic, from getting the email that actually tells you that your abstract has been accepted. When I first glanced at it, um, I saw, good, we knew it's a large trial, we knew it was gonna be accepted. It wasn't until I glanced at it the second time that I actually said that it said, I actually saw that it said plenary. Wow. And then I got goosebumps as I had not gotten since I went to the Rolling Stones concert in Rio de Janeiro when I was 16. So that was a very unique experience. Thanks for asking about that. And then the whole process of getting the um, slides ready, going back and forth with the scientific committee, making it better so that we're ready and we'll be ready in the sense that this can change practice once we do present the results was a most fantastic learning experience. And then when you come to ASCO, you actually have a number of activities that help you desensitize. I had an educational session I taught on Friday, and of course that helped me get into having a little bit more um, comfort with larger audiences. And then for the plenary, we do go to the session about a couple of hours before the whole thing starts. So we get to walk around in the room while it's empty with all of its 9,000 to 10,000 seats, and we get to go up on stage and um, kind of talk and be silly a little bit um, uh, on stage so that you feel less uncomfortable when you go in. 
and you didn't hear my knees uh, making any noise, so I think I did pretty okay. And then back door, this is called backstage. This is called the green room, um, and we have water. We have um, a massage parlor. Just kidding. Did you it's have any special demands? I mean, as rock stars do, none, ten bottles none, of room temperature none, water, none ten all. bottles all, of ice cold water. All I water. had was a little bit of warm water with. Um, um, uh, lime and and honey, and that's all I did to get ready. And the uncomfortable thing was that we had to stay behind, so we could not see what's going on. We had a video, we had a screen that had the slides, but we did not see any video of the speakers. Uh, good thing is we didn't see the audience either, so at least we did not feel uncomfortable with uh, the anticipation of it. But I have to say that the whole experience was thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. I had fun every single second of it, and I hope that if you haven't seen the video, that our listener will go and will take a look at it. I think it's a fantastic session from Joe Sperano's presentation of Taylor X, the clinical trial with maintenance chemotherapy for sarcoma, Carmina, as you just mentioned, and Keynote 42. So I think this was a superb uh, plenary session, and I hope that we'll continue to have such plenary sessions at ASCO for years to come. Monty, once more, thank you so much. Thank you for all of our crew for making this happen at ASCO. And I hope to see you again in our next Cancer Docs Talk uh, blog at Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Miami. Thank you. You have been listening to Cancer Docs Talk with Dr. Gilberto Lopes, Associate Director of Global Oncology at Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. We hope you'll join us next time for an update on the latest cancer news.